0: Today I welcome Will Goldsmith, Headmaster at St George's School, Windsor Castle. In this episode, I discuss future school thinking, curriculum redesign around the IB in the primary years, plus solving real world problems at school. I want to talk about you and I want to talk about St George's School. St George's is actually attached to Windsor Castle, so you share a site with the Queen Does having such a famous neighbour have its benefits and does she pop in? It's amazing. And the children, it probably
1: takes a number of years after they've left to realise just what an inspiring, unique place they've been at. We do share a site. We're on Crown Estate land. Our playing fields are actually in the private estate to Windsor Castle. The Queen is the patron to the school and she has visited a number of times in a formal capacity. I think given that we share the same estate. It's amazing when the children come into fairly close proximity with the queen and members of the royal family. And she is very, very fond of the school and takes a real interest in how it's getting on. And we certainly feel very much part of the College of St. George, St. George's Chapel and the wider Windsor Castle community.
0: Yeah. I mean it, it is an extraordinary setting and all the podcast listeners around the world will all know about the Queen. They'll all know about Winter Castle. So they can immediately get context to it. And I'm sure they'll all go off and start discovering going, actually, well, how close is this? This is a pretty, pretty special place to be ahead of a school. What actually drew you to joining St. George's? Was it because it was um, the crown estate and you had ambitions to to marry a, a royal or um what <laughs> was there more kind of altruistic
1: reasons for it? It wasn't the former at all. It was, I read music at university and I love music. And St. George's is a choir school to St. George's Chapel and Windsor Castle and, and has always had that rich musical heritage. I came from a very different school up in Scotland, in St. Andrews, where I ran a junior school there. I think the, the real attraction to throwing my hat in the ring here was, was that added dimension of being a choir school. Going back 750 years or so of continuous education in an area where there was a real appetite to do something different. And the job spec did mention curriculum development and someone who was really interested in the learning and teaching. And having done that at St. Leonard's up in Fife, that was a real attraction.
0: You talked about your love of music. Obviously, you read at university and the school has always provided an education to many of the choristers in the chapel at Wintercastle. Is this still the case? And is it all the choristers that come to you? Or is it just a few? Is it scholarships? I mean, how does that relationship work with the choristers? So since 1348, the school has been
1: the choir school and its raison d'etre is educating up to 23 choristers who sing in St. George's Chapel. And that hasn't changed over centuries and centuries. In the early part of the 20th century, the school moved to its current site at the foot of Windsor Castle, and through the 20th century, the school expanded and started to admit pupils who were not choristers, and then day children, and then a pre-prep in the 1980s. And now it's a school of 330 students from age 3 to 13, but very, very much a choir school at the centre, with 23 choristers who do form the entire front line, as it's called, up in St. George's Chapel.
0: What age do the children get to move into the choir? Is it from an early, a really young age or is it in the more of the latter stage of prep?
1: It's from year four. So when the children are eight, they can audition either children who are currently here or children who are new to the school and specifically want to go down the chorus to route. They are auditioned and then join the choir for five years.
0: I actually discovered I was playing hockey with someone because we're obviously not too far from you. And actually someone I was playing hockey with later this season was an old boy of your school and actually was in the choir. Yeah, I was fascinated just because of the history to your school. And then I just happened to be playing with this guy for the first time. And he kind of, you know, you end up talking about the history, where you've come from, why have you come across here? And then it was Windsor. Yeah. And he had a great time. He said it it was pretty spectacular being at the school. Great advert for uh,
1: choristerships, someone who plays sport and has been able to enjoy a range of other things as well as their, their music.
0: I want to talk about your strategic future school vision for St George's, which encompasses four key elements. Transformational learning, well-being, the mind and body, music and the creative arts, and the community, you know, Windsor Castle and beyond. How did you land on those four areas and why are they more important? I'm going to start
1: with the most important, and that's well-being. At a very basic level, happy children learn, happy children succeed. And I think absolutely nothing comes close, not even maths and English, for which I think as a UK education system, we are far too obsessed with the output on those two subjects. Perhaps come on to that later. I think the well-being of children and young people and their their happiness, their sense of authenticity and their sense of individuality and purpose is so, so important. I think we take children in the early years foundation stage who are curious, who are individuals, who are quirky who are not afraid to relate to themselves and others and have a really strong understanding as part of that framework of where they are in the wider world and between their classmates and how they relate to one another. And then we seem to narrow that right down and then churn out a certain type of child, either at the end of year six or in some of the independent schools, the end of year eight, and then certainly at 16 and 18 we know the horrific statistics at the moment of young people who self-harm. I heard last week from a local GP that a referral through the private healthcare system for mental health services is three months, unless you are at crisis point for a young person. In the NHS, that is now well over a year. And I firmly believe through societal pressure, Obviously, social media playing a part in that. And I think this sense of children losing that authenticity, being processed through a system where we are obsessed with output and conformity, I think the well-being and developing that sense of well-being, that sense of resilience, but in the right way from a really young age is crucial. That comes from culture of a school. It comes from that really important holistic element. It comes from understanding of mental health from everyone who works in the school. It comes with education with parents. And so that was the obvious starting place for us. And everything else is filtered from that. In terms of the inspirational learning and teaching, I've come from the International Baccalaureate. And I think once part of the IB, I think you join that and become very evangelical about it. And I certainly have. And I believe that it is just the most wonderful way of learning. Being able to learn, unlearn, relearn and think critically, but develop this lifelong love of learning from a really young age is just great. And I'm delighted that's the way we've gone as a school. Music and the performing arts are transformational. I believe that Lambda, every child should participate in Lambda or the equivalent to get up on stage and to be able to Literally, find your voice can be transformational. I've seen some of the quietest and shyest children, and that's not, a, not an issue at all, aged eight and nine, find their voice and just get up on stage, deliver a speech or a poem or a piece of Shakespeare or something, and just come alive. And the same for music. Not every child learns a musical instrument here. Not every child sings in a choir, but they're exposed to music on an everyday basis here. And I think that power of the arts, if there's one thing the UK education system must never do, which it is doing, is shrink the arts. Because that those subjects are as important.
0: I mean, you talk about the arts. I mean, the government actually slashed arts investment to higher by 50% this last 12 months, which is unbelievable. And so short-sighted. It's the biggest sector that's been affected by the pandemic. And yet all we've done is just Put more fuel on the fire and go. Well, okay. Well, we're going to withdraw funding because you know we're going to siphon it different ways. And I, I'm with you on the arts. I just think it's completely underinvested. I just don't think we focus on it strong enough. We like the three R's and we want to come out with maths and English and some sciences. And we're not all wired that way. I've got four kids and I tell you, you know, they're all arts based, and it's just that's the way. And you talked about finding their voice. You know, you want your child to thrive to. Find a spark that's going to ignite a passion for life only by challenging the curriculum, challenging the way that you teach. Can you get there? Otherwise, you do just become a cookie cutter education to an off the peg secondary school. And all they're going to do is carry on that horrific process. So they go off and they don't come out happy. They don't come out confident and they don't come out well. Those are really crucial things you've got to get right at the prep school, because I think Sir Ken Robinson, you know, he was always talking about curiosity, creativity, and we just teach it out of our kids. Art is embedded in what you do. And as you say, it's not every child. It's not meant to be brilliant at everything, but you need to explore it because we are all very creative. It's a very human thing to be. I want to talk about St. George's Windsor. You touched on the IB, the International Baccalaureate, because you know, you're on an exciting journey. as the first standalone UK prep school to become an IB world school, you know, offering the primary years program. Can you tell us about how this came about? I've wanted to do it
1: here from the moment I first looked around St. George's. And the real opportunity came after the first lockdown in June last year, where I saw I had a unique opportunity, as so many heads did, to have a real helicopter view of how our children were learning remotely. And it was a great opportunity, ironically, probably see more than I would do with the children physically in school. And I saw how... Many of them were able to start thinking for themselves and think creatively, as you've just touched on, and start to ask more questions than answering questions. And that's the key. As Tony Wiggins said, the Harvard professor, he said, we've got to change that. At the moment, it's all about answering the right questions. And so children just become sponges, take in knowledge, and then just learn how to answer the right question. develop the art of asking the right questions. And that's what we need in the world. So I saw this and I got really, really excited and said to the board of governors here, look, there's one curriculum for us. There's one thing the students need, and that's the IB. A curriculum where, of course, you know, knowledge is still important. No educator wants to dumb down standards. Of course we don't. But alongside that knowledge is the ability to develop really deep research questioning skills, communication skills, a real understanding, a conceptualized understanding. That's what the IB stands out from any other curriculum, is that it's concept-based, it's not topic-based. So children get that really deep understanding, which gives them that, I suppose, self-regulated approach to take their learning forwards themselves. And we decided to go with it in December 2020. And it's been the most exciting seven months since because Our parents have bought into it, our staff have, and we're just about to start this really exciting journey where this learner journey from three to 11 and three to 13 beyond in years seven and eight is going to be driven by the IB learner profile, the approaches to learning, subjects not working in isolation because these children are not going to, the days of A-levels when they just learn, they choose three subjects, narrow, narrow, narrow. It won't affect these kids who are five and six. They all need to be entrepreneurs. They all need to develop that communication, that collaboration, problem solving. And yeah, we're on a really exciting journey.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that you've adopted such a, you know, some might say it as a radical change to the way that you've done education at such a turbulent time, but it's probably quite a good time to try new things because the world is guessing and we've all had to, to kind of learn new things and adopt new ways of teaching. Have you found it quite straightforward to embed that into your school and your community with your parents? Or was it quite difficult to bring forward that level of change?
1: I think since I was appointed three years ago, um, I've stayed very, very focused on my message, which is that I do not believe in assessment. You may want to delve into that a little bit later. I don't believe in us just measuring that output And I spoke, I mean, everyone knew I'd come from an IB school and I started to speak that from a very early stage. So my messaging hasn't changed. We set a a really exciting vision, mission and value statement for the school. It absolutely didn't come as a surprise when we announced it in March through careful communication to ensure that that parents have really understood what the IB stands for. And that's really important because we, as educationalists, start speaking in educator speak. And that's been a real lesson for me in how to get a message across that is easily accessible and gets to the point for parents has been something that I've learned along the way. Everyone's really excited about it. And I think that our children are going to absolutely love it. And they're just going to, learning is going to be about them just developing their curiosity and taking their curiosity. And I just can't wait to see how they take it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's super exciting to see what you've done and and how you're going about it. Bringing the right stakeholders along is not easy. You know, parents do need buy in they have their own, you know, perceptions or their own historical ways in which they kind of believe education should be done. But ultimately, when you kind of boil it back down, when you look forward and actually look at now the future of work and where our kids will go, you know, parents are really signed up to the fact that they need to have these critical thinking skills, creativity, adaptability. Those are really crucial bits. You previously described the IB programme as helping students to develop the right knowledge and skills. What is this knowledge and what are those skills? Of course, there's
1: knowledge. And of course, we want to ensure that the pupils have the right framework and building blocks in order to then think creatively. And and naturally, there's a real balance in. And as you know, in the education world, there's this raging debate about knowledge versus skills. And where do we go? How do we meet in the middle? We are leaning towards the skills because I believe that once you've got those dispositions and those skills and the ability to research, the ability to ask questions, the ability to debate, the ability not to just take something and accept it, but actually argue properly and then listen to another person's point of view and take that on. And that's the whole international mindedness part of the IB. Then you're going to be able to take in knowledge and learn things a lot easier and quicker. So knowledge is a given, of course. Now skills, that is, I think, fundamentally the ability to, as I've said many times in this podcast so far, the ability to ask the right question. I think it's the ability to listen. That's what we need in this world, people who genuinely listen. And it's the ability to debate and it's the ability to construct your own argument from a really young age. Those are the skills. Fundamentally, this is where we can merge our learning with these soft skills, the ability to think compassionately and bring kindness in, which the IB does as part of every unit of inquiry, as part of the whole learning cycle, the learner profile of which caring is part of it, risk-taking, principle, balanced, etc., becomes embedded as part of your you're learning. So when you're doing your maths and English, actually, you're starting to use this terminology as such as erring, principled, compassionate. As part of my research, when I write here, I spoke to our parent body, many of whom are highly successful employers in their own right. And I said, look, what do you look for in young people when they come and join your firm? And they didn't say, I want a 2-1 from an Ivy League or a Russell Group University. They didn't say, yeah, we really want people who can think very logically. And we don't want people who just come as mathematicians, chemists, and physicists. We need historians who are linguists. We need mathematicians who have an understanding of the arts. We need those who can think outside the box, diverse thinkers. We don't want a whole tribe of people who think the same way. Absolutely not. We want kind people. That's really important. And we want those who are going to be able to articulate themselves really clearly, communicate exceptionally well, possibly on their first day at work with someone from the other side of the world. So I took that and I thought, well, what on earth are we doing? These guys are doing it age five with the EYFS, and then the whole thing goes out the window. So from a really young age, let's get those key skills going. These are skills that no two hour or one hour exam where it's all about getting the right mark. GCSE science, you swallow a thousand pages of a textbook, brilliant. You get your seven in GCSE science. You're not learning how to be compassionate. You're not learning how to think outside the box. You're not any diversity of thought at all.
0: I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. The key stakeholders, so you had absolute vision. You've obviously shown leadership in terms of driving through change. You've brought along your parent body. Your students are going to be the ones who are going to really benefit from this. The other big stakeholder is your teachers. And obviously, changing the way in which you do deliver teaching is a really critical piece in the success of doing this. How did that work out for you? Did the teachers really grab it quick? Did you have to recruit really new teachers? I mean, the people piece is, uh, is, is a crucial piece of
1: the success. It is so important to bring your staff along with you. And they've seen it coming. It's come as no surprise to anyone when I announced the International Baccalaureate. And I said straight away, I said, look, this is not for everyone. This is the way we're going as a school. I'm going to be crystal clear in our vision. This is why I think it is crucial for every single child here to follow this route of learning. This is where it's going to be really impactful for them. And this is how it's going to be exciting for you. You're going to have. IB experience as a teacher, which is amazing for your own professional development and career. You are going to stop working in isolation. We are going to have this one collaborative staff room where you're in and out of each other's classrooms, where you are suddenly taking a real interest and in reflecting on what the music team are doing, what the humanities, which are now called individuals and societies faculty, are doing. We're going to stop this sort of subject working in isolation to one another. And there's real, real excitement. I think teachers realize that the world has changed. This is not a case where you get out your scheme of work from last year and you just repeat it. Every year is different because it's child led. You're never quite sure where your unit of inquiry, where your learning is going to go. So I have a team who are incredibly excited about the journey from September. We've been on a big recruitment drive this year for teachers. And the first thing they do when they sit down in my study is they say, look, We are so excited about the vision of the school and the International Baccalaureate. I think deep down, we all know the flaws of the education system. We know that it's overtested. We know that you are not able to, through Ofsted, et cetera, you just cannot deviate off a very narrow, knowledge centric scheme of work. And it is deeply underfunded. And the IB is a brilliant mechanism to. To unleash
0: teachers. You sit in a, I suppose, an entitled place being a head of an independent school because you have that control and flexibility to change things so drastically to help your families and the kids within your care. What about the rest of education? Do we not have a purpose to support state education, other primary education? You're very passionate about this. What do you think we should be doing or can do from the independent side to be able to drive this as an approach that maybe can be adopted in the state side i don't
1: like the divide in the uk education system at all this is
0: where partnerships is absolutely
1: crucial we've just set up a windsor learning partnership with 13 primary schools and us we had our first meeting a few weeks ago and it was really really exciting just to look at how we can support one another and where we can learn from each other and just collaborate and i think that is crucial and i think we've seen that through the pandemic on Monday, the 20th of March, 2020, it was no longer the case of schools working in isolation to one another, heads working in isolation, and the sector working in isolation. We came together, I felt, as one education sector. And I know I speak on behalf of the independent sector that we, we want this partnership. We are absolutely keen as anything not to pretend that we are doing anything that is better or more sophisticated in any way, but we see the need for real reform across the whole UK education system. And I think we need to work together on that. Absolutely crucial. It's really exciting. The IB has an academy chain in the east of England that has set up the PYP. I think that's 15 schools, including a a special needs school that's going to be running the PYP from age three up to 18. And it just shows that what we can do with imagination and great leadership across the sector. And there are some really exciting initiatives springing up and movements. And I was at the Forum for the Future of Education a couple of weeks ago, where I was in a breakout room with three exceptional and passionate primary head teachers who are just longing to break free of the system. I think change can come from within. And I think we all really, really feel it. And we all want to be part of that because I do not want to just look after 330 children in my own school. We all have a responsibility to get the education system back on its feet, make any changes necessary for the good of every single child in this country.
0: I completely agree. And there's some great case studies you just mentioned in the east of England. And I do hope there are more pockets of academy trusts and more freewheeling organisations who can start to drive that change. Because I'm with you. I think the IB is definitely way forward. But it needs massive education across the UK, you know, from a parent side of things, I'm still very naive to it or my wife is. And, you know, you go down the route of, of least resistance and what you know, but you're falling foul of putting your your, your child's future at risk because they're not going to get it. And, you know, we actually pulled my son out of a grammar school, age 14, very bright boy, but he just wanted to be an actor. <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of, this is the wrong place. You know, they're just thrashing things down. And he hated chemistry. And, you know, so we moved him to a boarding school to get what he needed. And abs- he's absolutely been thriving. It's not moved to the IB, but at least it was, it was a step forward to kind of break off that, that trajectory of so many kids that don't have any choices. And then, you know, to be able to thrive with inspired teaching, to develop him as a person, to make sure he was happy and confident was absolutely outstanding. And in two years, I mean, it's been a horrible two years because he's, don't think he's really been boarding much. We've certainly noticed a change. I want to talk about you being real world ready because many schools talk about jobs that don't exist, you know, the future of work. And I've written a lot and I talk a lot around the future schools. Beyond the introduction of the IB, what are you doing to live into this real world ready at St. George's?
1: So alongside the IB, we are set and I sincerely hope we're going to be accepted. We're going to find out in the next three weeks to join Round Square, which is a group of 250 schools across the world all joined together by a set of ideals, very, very strong ideals. And this is going to form part of, for us, of the St. George's Award that runs from year three with the Explorers through to year five and six with the Pioneers and then the Trailblazers in seven and eight. And this is not a, a slightly sort of standalone award that sits alongside the curriculum. It is completely merged with what we're going to be doing with our learning and teaching. And there are four key strands here, environmental awareness or environmental stewardship, leadership, democracy, looking at freedom of speech, looking at internationalism, service, and adventure. So there's inspiration here from the Duke of Edinburgh's Award, the Prince William Award, as it was, and Round Square. And the children, they steer this themselves. We had our first award ceremony and launch yesterday. It was great. And this is where the children develop their own solutions to real-life problems, whether locally, just down the road, whether nationally or whether internationally, across those four key areas. And then in year six, at the end of the PYP, that forms their pupil-led exhibition. And then in year eight, at the end of our pre-senior baccalaureate, the students will deliver a TED Talk up in Windsor Castle. But each unit of inquiry from year three upwards ends with an action, a specific action the students have to do. This might be raising awareness. It might be something tangible in the local area. And Round Square is going to be great for us. It's going to open the door to possible exchanges. This is years down the line, but exchanges, teacher exchanges, lessons via Zoom and Google Classroom from schools across the world. So I truly believe that these children, when I arrived here, I wanted us. I said to the staff, we've got to look beyond the school gates. We have got to take St. George's outside. And we have got to bring the very best of education to us. In July 2022, we've got the green school in Bali doing an online project with us for a week, which is great. I mean, there's one school I long to run is a green school up in Scotland. That's going to be really exciting. So everything we do, we've got real world ready, right at our heart of our agenda, from the very youngest children, right up to year eight. And we feel that they're going to Develop so many experiences and lived experiences and awareness of what's going on outside Windsor.
0: And solving real world problems, even if, you know, locally in Windsor, because there will be real problems, community problems that happen in your locality, nationally and then internationally, it's essential. And I think I read somewhere that you had scuba diving in your curriculum in relation to a project on ocean polymers. This obviously leads into this great belief that you know, education outside the classroom that we should be bringing in and it's solving real life problems? I know the answer to this, but should the curriculum be designed and delivered around solving real world problems? I think you've already explained pretty much yes.
1: It would be a real disappointment if I said no, (laughs) education needs to happen in straight desks within the four walls of a classroom. No, I believe every experience for children needs to be memorable and getting children outside, learning outside the classroom. One of the big things that COVID has ensured we have to do, getting children outside rather than into unventilated classrooms. Absolutely. As many links, grab every single link you possibly can. Grab those connections and connect your learning and your schemes of work, hopefully very diverse syllabi and all that sort of stuff to what's going on currently in the world.
0: Thank you for your time, Will inspired really fantastic to chat to you thanks ever so much you can connect with me on twitter instagram and via linkedin remember keep inspiring schools we need more future school thinking now